are just no words to express humanly just how wonderful and how great you are. How you watch over us. How you protect us. How you give us your wisdom, your insight. Father, how you give us a heart to love. Even in a world 
where love seems like it's non-existent. Father, you give us your heart of love. And your heart of justice. We thank you, Father, that you have chosen us. We thank you, Father, that we're able to openly have a relationship with you, Father, like none other. We thank you for the sacrifice you made of your son so that we could have victory over everything. Father, we thank you that even in a time as this, you have lifted us, you have lifted us up and equipped us to take back territory that the enemy has freely given. Not stolen, Father, but we have given it away. But Father, we, we take that territory back right now. Father, we release the spirit of victory, the spirit of courage, the spirit of boldness, not over this congregation, but over this nation, to those you have called out of hiding, to those you have called to the forefront, to those you have called to be watchmen on the wall, to those you have called to to, um, engage, to those you have called into government into the marketplace, into media, into the seven mountains of society, Father, we we speak boldness yes, yes. and courage and wisdom and your knowledge. And we cast out fear, complacency, Undecisiveness. We thank you, Father, for all things. We thank you. Lions roaring like a king. Sounds reverberating. Lions roaring. The sounds reverberating, lions roaring like a king. The sounds reverberating, lions roaring like a king. The sounds reverberating, lions roaring like a king. The sounds reverberating, lions roaring.
There are mics at the front and the rear of the sanctuary. If the Lord places a word on your heart, a scripture, a prophetic word, please feel free to walk to one of the mics and share what the Lord has placed on your heart. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And of children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift up, O ancient doors. The King of glory has come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift up, O ancient doors. The King of glory has come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. 
He is the King of glory. great joy to be back here in the house of the Lord with you guys. Great joy. Been gone for a few months. <clears throat> Down where it's warm and I got tanned, but <laughs> it's good to be warm inside. Be back with you guys. The Lord is good. He uh, woke me up this morning with uh, word knowledge. So I started searching. Michael, good to see you here this morning. Pete's nephew, Peggy's nephew, right? Right? So, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. You know, it's better to be here than where it's warm in Florida <laughs> for me. <laughs> God is good. Knowledge, you know, my people perish for lack of knowledge. Jesus said to some, He said, Go away from me, I never knew you. Wow, that's pretty heavy duty. I've been doing signs and wonders and doing stuff I thought for God, but I wasn't doing them with God. I was doing them outside, doing them my own way. And Jesus said, I never knew you. That's kind of dangerous and scary to think about, you know. <clears throat> knowledge of God, just intimacy is the knowledge. There's kinds of knowledge that knows in the head. You know things, you know where you're at and all that stuff. But the knowledge that he's talking about is Intimacy. Deep-rooted intimacy with Jesus. Just letting Jesus have His way. So we're on a struggle to let Him have His way. You know, what is the purpose in life? What is the purpose of life? You think about that and you can think of all kinds of answers, but the real answer is to be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus. Yes. To be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus. So... We get to go through these tests, you know, and it says God tests the heart and he's pleased with integrity. So we get to go through all these tests to get to become conformed to be like Jesus. Do we respond in love? Did you learn to love? Do we love? Do we learn to, you know, forgive other people when they mean to us? Or, you know, does money have its way? Are we, you know, clinging to money as our God? And all kinds of different things. But God tests us to see if we'll be willing to to learn to become like Him. To, to let His Spirit of love live through us. To allow Him to live through us. To get to know Him intimately. Jehoshaphat, uh, Pete and I, we got to study this this morning and real early in. Mothers and Jehoshaphat, you know, he was a pretty good guy and king and he led the people and he did a lot of good stuff, you know. But at the end of the day, the people, it says they kept high places. They kept their high places. They didn't pull down their high places, you know. And uh, so, what are your high places? You know, what are high places that you might cling to? You know, maybe, a, I don't know. You just have to ask the Lord, what is a high place in your life? Like I said, is it money and forgiveness? Is it clinging, doing what you want to do instead of, you know, me, myself, and I? You know, we have the mind of Christ. I was talking to Dale. We have the mind of Christ. Is it learn to be connected in unity together, you know, as a group of people to where we can hear from one another and hear what God is saying? Because sometimes we don't see clearly. And, you know, there, you know like there's whole denominations don't believe that Jesus... Uh, does miracles anymore, don't speak in tongues, don't prophesy, don't do nothing. You know, they cling to that kind of, 
a thing. It's a high place. You know, are we willing to let God change us and adjust us? You have a willing heart. I love David. He said uh, he has a willing heart. You know, I think that's what pleased God. Just a willingness. You know, God, give me a will, willing heart. I want a willing heart. I want a humble heart. I want a heart of humility. You know, that. And so I got a, a, a friend of mine that says to the Lord, shock me now rather than later. So I just say uh, yes and amen to that in my own life. God, shock me now rather than, uh, you know, so that I might adjust and be right now, be what you want me to become, you know, more and more like Jesus every day. So bring to my attention, you know, and help me to be willing to turn from those things and become more like Jesus so that in the day that I stand before you in that day, wow, this is my child in whom I'm you know, well pleased. So I just give God permission to change me. I, you, you give him permission. It's a choice. It's a choice. Michael, you made a choice to come here this morning. I'm so happy to see you. A man that's, how old are you now? 59 years old. And, and God's knocking on the door of this man's heart. And he made a choice to come here this morning. So life is made up of choices. You know, and I, I tell people, you know, I'm going to live to be a law. I'm going to live to be a real old man because God has got a whole bunch of stuff to work out inside of me to make me conform to Jesus. So I got a lot of tests to go through. You know, I got a lot of tests to go through. But I just wanted to uh, share with you this morning that word that God gave me that to to get intimate with Him, the knowledge of God's what He's after. You know, the real intimacy, to getting to know Jesus. You know, it says in the Bible, it says we can get to know him better. And we can get to know him better. We can grow from one degree of glory to another. We can just continue to go as deep, as far as we want to go, as just as close as, you know, we want to be. We can just say, yes, God. Yes, God. I just give you permission. Yes, God. I want to be just like you. And then buckle your seatbelt because you're liable to go through some stuff. <laughs> but anyway, he's there in the stuff. Love you guys. Bless you. Good morning. Morning. So God has really been working in my life. I can feel his presence just falling upon me. Um, this past week has just been phenomenal to see his presence. And on Friday, my husband and I had stopped at a 7-Eleven. And there was a woman with three children. Three small children, one in a car seat, baby. And you could tell that there was something upon her that she was just struggling. And I just kind of watched her, and I heard her tell her oldest child, who was about two, you can't have that because the child supports on the table at home, and I just paid the, the mortgage payment, and I'll get it for you, but I can't get it now. And so I just felt it like whatever Chris had, whatever I had in cash needed to go to her. So I called her over 
And in doing so, she said, I just got out of the mental hospital. My husband left me. I have the kids. She had two bottles of alcohol that she had purchased at 7-Eleven to drink later because she couldn't get her prescriptions filled. And she thanked me and started crying. There are so many desperate lost people in our world. Seriously. And if we don't start sharing what God has equipped us with, which is the Holy Spirit and His love and grace, our world is going to come to an end. And so this is something that I sent some very precious people in my life this morning. What does it mean to walk in the way of God? When we walk with God, it may not make it may not make things easy, but it makes them possible. Walking with him gives us assurance of his presence and power in our lives. Our God is powerful, and with him all things are possible. Walking with him gives us assurance of his presence and power in our lives. Our God is powerful, and with him all things are possible. We can endure that. We can endure trials and heartache because of Christ's resurrection power in us. What a gift. We can and we do overcome. So we have to share our gifts. And I sent that to that woman this morning. And as I was sitting here, she sent me a text back with two hearts. I needed this this morning. Thank you with a prayer. And so, you know, when God puts it on your heart to reach out, reach out. Don't hesitate. Because people need us. They need to know that they they matter. So, with that, have a good morning. You are the one who knows my needs before I call. You tell the storms when it will cease before it starts. The God within my heart
all the fullness of the deity lives in in bodily form. And in Christ, we have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In Him also, we were circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Our whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when we were circumcised by Christ. For we haven't been buried with Him in baptism, And also raised with him through our faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Having canceled out any charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away and he has nailed it to the cross. And he has disarmed the powers and authorities and made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Praise be to the Lord, the God of our Father, Israel. From everlasting to everlasting, yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. We give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. We give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever.
I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And I wept and wept because no one was found worthy. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. And he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. Encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which were the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the land. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Because you were slain with your blood and you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them known to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousands. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice. They were saying, worthy is the lamb who is slain. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and they worshipped him.
I have a few things on my heart to share that may be difficult just for me to express it. But I'm going to give it a shot. As you know, I'm not real good with words anyway, but I sense, and this, it's not really, I wouldn't put the word stir on it, but, or move, or I don't know, I don't have the right word. I have a sense. Let me try to put it this way. Um, we live really in the tension between a couple things. When you read Scripture, it, there's a tension in the Scripture. Do you not under, kind of understand what I'm saying? Like there's a, there's a yay and there's a nay. There's this tension of pull. There's... Maybe this will help. When Jesus was on earth, there was so much evil and demonic possession and garbage in the temple and within Judaism and among the Pharisees. And so they had this, this political and religious tension but at the same time, this glorious appearing of the Son of God. That's kind of what I'm talking about. That dichotomy, that tension between what we see so often that, especially right now in our culture, that we say the devil's moving right and and what we may not be able to see with our natural eyes so much, but that sense of what God is doing among people. Is that even making a little bit of sense? So in 2016, I was given a, um, a, this prophetic word that I, I mentioned often in writing and speaking. And it was this, that we are living in a Kairos moment of accelerated restoration. Uh, it's been seven seven years ago. A Kairos moment being just a specific time frame. However long that may last. Of accelerated, a sped up time of restoration. Now I have to be honest, here's this dichotomy, this tension. Because ever since I had that word, what I've been seeing in culture and around the world is opposite. And many times you see God speak uh, and do something, and it seems like the opposite is what you're, you're experiencing. 
Um, what comes to mind, which is a great example, I think, is Moses, right? He's minding his business in the wilderness, tending sheep, you know, raising his own family. And he has this encounter with God, and God says, go back to Egypt and tell, tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And he does it, and what happens? It just blew up in his face, right? It's, it was, it, things ended up being worse. You know, he's looked at now as a problem. The, the entire nation of Israel has to work harder. And so you have that. Has anybody experienced that? You, you know God spoke to you and you begin to move and it's like, and we have this expectation, I think, this human expectation. If God speaks to us, it's just all going to work out. And many times when God speaks to do something, you hit a brick wall immediately. Because, see, it's, it's not about accomplishing the task so much of, and Rex referred to this as being conformed to the image of Christ in the process. So this word, I, I was, it just kind of, I forgot all about this word because it's been seven years ago. And uh, it just came to me actually yesterday morning. And I looked it up on my personal website to see when I, when I, I had it. You know, I, I couldn't remember. And I, the word restoration just jumped out at me. And here's a definition. I, 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 I never thought of this even when I had the word seven years ago. It's returning something to a former owner. Returning something to a former owner. In 2018, I was given this word, uh, Joshua chapter 5. And we talked about that, those of you that have been here, many, many times. This morning, my plan was, I was going to talk about the Lord's feasts. And we're in the time now from the first fruits. The first three feasts have been um, fulfilled. We're in that time before Pentecost. And Pentecost is in the middle of May. And I wanted to talk specifically about Pentecost, but also the three feasts. But I think I'm going to change a little bit of direction this morning. And we'll come back and hit that at, at a later date, maybe next week. So I have this verse here in Leviticus. How many of you just, you, you just always can't wait to get to your Bible? Actually, Judges, I want to re- and, and just study Leviticus. But I'll get to that in a minute. And the, the scripture I want to hit to first is in Judges, Judges chapter 2. Beginning with so, I apologize. I'm going to be just a little all over here as I get my thoughts straight. The one aspect of this end time tribulation is that every evil seed that has been sown since the garden is maturing. But every righteous seed is also maturing. And Jesus shared a parable that referred kind of to this, and it's the wheat and the tares growing together. And the servant said, should we eat some of the wheat And he said, at the end of the age, we'll take care of that. 
will take care of that. Let them both grow together. And in this passage here in Judges chapter 2, so we've got right now we're, and I personally believe, um, pairs have been identified more and more over the last few years. So is wheat. You know the difference? You can't really tell the difference by the way they look. Is when they mature, um, tears don't bow down. And the humility. And we have this spiritual war that has just escalated between good and evil. I mean, it's so crazy now. I, I, I You know, I hold your place there in Judges. That in Romans chapter 1, we're seeing this. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The suppressing of truth in our, in our culture, in the world, is, is amazing. What's just even that part of it. Because that which is known about God's evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations. Any futile speculations going on? How about futile uh, um, speculations even within Christianity? shocking it really is it's quite shocking and their foolish heart was darkened professing to be wise they became fools they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible god for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of which they're going to force people to start eating now by the way but that's a side note Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their, fle- their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature, self, Rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts, receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are uh, not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. I love how that one's just thrown in there. Disobedient to parents. When I was a youth pastor, I would use this every once in a while. Without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, 
merciful, and although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they do not. They not only do the same, but they give heart approval to those who practice them. I don't know about any of you, but I'm seeing this played out. Now Judges chapter 2, I think. So this spiritual war between good and evil, wheat and tares, what man is building, Tower of Babel 2.0, from what God is building and bringing his kingdom. Judges 2.20, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. And he said, because the nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers and has not listened to my voice. I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them. Whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk in it as their fathers did or not. So the Lord allowed those nations to remain, not driving them out quickly. And he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. Now these are the nations which the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is, all who had not experienced any of the wars of Canaan. So you have a generation that has not been trained in war. They have not experienced the wars of Canaan. So what did God do? Left their enemies in the land So that they would be trained in war. War is a function of government. And God did this on purpose. To do what? Annihilate Israel? No. To train them. In warfare. Or the church system hates war. They don't like talking about war, government. Well, we're born into violent warfare. The moment we are given birth to, we are born into violent warfare. And we're going to live into it until Jesus returns. When we die. Verse 23 again, so the Lord allowed those nations to remain, not driving them out quickly. He did not give them into the hand of Joshua. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now these are the nations which the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is all who had not experienced any of the wars of Canaan, only in order that the generations of the sons of Israel might be taught war. Those who had not experienced it formally. Boy, this sounds like church right here, doesn't it? Sounds like church. American church today. These nations are the five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and Sidonians and the Hivites and who lived in Mount Mount Lebanon. That's my people, by the way. My people, Mount Lebanon. From the Mount Baal Hermon and as far as Lebo Hamath. They were for testing Israel to find out if they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers through Moses. Why did God do it? To test Israel. 
to find out if they would obey the commandments of the Lord. It is so easy to obey God when everything's going well. You're healthy. Your kids are healthy. Your grandkids are healthy. Nothing happening. Your toaster works fine. Your car still starts. The birds are chirping. It's springtime. You got your best favorite music on and you're grooving with the beat and everything's fine. It's easy to obey the Lord in times like that. But every character trait and every act of obedience must be tested. Will we love when it's not easy? Will we be patient? Let's skip that one. Skip it. <laughs> love is patient. Is there like a time frame on it? I just, no, I'm just kidding. So what are your thoughts? God leaves enemies. You see, Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of of Eden, which was the most perfect environment on the planet. Before they ate the fruit, literally it was heaven on earth. Because there was no sin, no corruption, no curse. The absolute most perfect environment. They didn't even have people problems because there was just two of them. That was supposed to be funny. In marriage. (laughs) And yet, in this perfect environment... And remember, see, the, 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 the church likes to say that when you're born again you still have um, the flesh or a sin nature. Well, Adam and Eve didn't have a sin nature. And they still sinned. In the most perfect environment. And then you take Job. How many of you like studying the book of Job? Huh? You like it? couple hands you like to read job because you don't have it as bad as job right it makes you feel better right oh man i don't have it that bad you see job is a type of the end time bride because god's first two kids lived in a perfect environment and sinned And the end time bride, I'm not talking about Christians, I'm talking about the bride. The end time bride is not going to live in the most perfect environment. They're going to live in an environment that's similar to Job's. And they're going to be tested by their enemies. And yet without sin. Without disobedience. And they're going to come through it. How many of you want to be that? 
there's going to be a group of people. I am convinced of that. Job had his issues. He had his really good friends that gave him great advice. His wife telling him, just curse God and die. So what do you think of that? See, my natural, and I'll just be honest with you, my natural human preference and response is God get rid of my enemies. Is, is it anybody else's? Is that deal with the enemies? Which is really, it's, it's not people. Today, it's, it's not people. It's, it's the spiritual forces and wickedness in high places that are motivating people. That we see the demonic actions that are coming through people. Which, on a second note, that would give us or should give us some mercy and compassion for people. To really see them to be set free from that demonic influence and use in their life. Steve? Yeah, there's, there's no compromise with the enemy. And I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about demonic forces. There's no, there's no compromise because the moment you compromise, you've given in. Because a lot of people uh, receive, if you don't accept my behavior, you're not loving me. But we can't determine how they're going to receive it. We just have to be obedient to the Lord. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely started. So I want I I really want everybody in this congregation that that attends here to be equipped for this hour. 
I want you to be equipped. I want you to hear, be able to discern, hear the voice of the Lord, and be obedient to what he's telling you is the most really important thing. And I've been saying this for the last few years. The best way you can be equipped and prepared for the hour in which we live is to develop your intimate fellowship koinonia with the Father and being able to recognize his voice. And that doesn't mean that we're not going to need each other. We're going to need one another even more and more, even like the Scripture says, as the days grow darker and more evil. Then I'm not sure what God's saying. I, I don't know about you, but I get into those times. I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes I just don't know what he's saying to me right now. And I need somebody else to come along and help with that, like we all do. I want to share one last passage of Scripture this morning, and um, maybe we'll get to next week. Pentecost in particular, in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that's how Jesus said we will be equipped too. Equipped for ministry by being baptized, filled with the Spirit of God. But this is in Romans 7. As I read Romans 8 this morning, this just kind of jumped out at me. So I was asking the Lord what if He wanted me to talk about it. And I, I, I think He does. So I'm just going to talk about this passage. It's a very controversial passage. It begins Romans chapter 7, verse 14, goes through 21. It's a, certainly a passage of Scripture I had misunderstood for years, um, mainly because I was taught it wrong and I read it wrong and didn't have the right understanding. So there are five, five basic things that when you are reading Scripture to keep in mind to help you better understand and um, what is actually being said and being talked about. Because Christians, like all of us, like to pull a passage of Scripture out, right, and quote that passage of Scripture. And sometimes if we're not careful, we quote these things out of context, that they don't really mean what we think we, they mean. One of, the, one of the most common ones I hear, and it's a pet peeve of me because it's about the ecclesia, is wherever two or three are gathered together, there I am in your midst. I hear that all the time. And then we pull it out, and somebody says that at the beginning of a meeting, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in your midst, and took it completely out of context. That's not what it means at all. And we do this kind of stuff all of the time. In, in Romans chapter 7, I was taught in... Um, maybe like you, very early on, I mentioned it just a few minutes ago, that when you receive Christ and become born again, that Christ comes and lives on the inside of you, but you still have a sin nature that you're at war with. That your spirit man and the, what we, they call, what Bible even refers to the sum, your flesh, your sin nature, are at war. And that's what you're fighting. Anybody been taught that? Beside me, you're, you're fighting that. Well, let me just be blunt about it. That is not scriptural, and it's not in the Bible anywhere. 
God never gave birth to a two, um, what, what's the word? Um, huh? Yeah, to a, a two dual nature individual. So when you get born again, you receive the nature of Christ. Your nature changes completely. He doesn't leave. How can you even think about this logically? How can, especially when Scripture says light and darkness can't coexist, sin and righteousness can't coexist, but when you are going to be born again, he's going to leave sin and then righteousness coexisting within you. See, even logically, it doesn't make sense based on what Scripture says. So what's the problem? It's right here. When you're born again, you get a brand new spirit with a brand new nature, but you still have corrupt files up here. That's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, you and I have to renew. We now have to line up our thinking to the spirit. That's our job. You know, we're three-part, I didn't mean to get into all this, but we're three-part being. We're a body that houses our mind and our spirit. Do you know what you do with your body? Because you have, to, you have to deal with these three things. To be discipled and to come into following Christ, you have to deal with these three things. And there is scripture that tells us what to do with our body. Paul talked about it. You make it your slave. You control your body. You don't let your body control you. Our spirit, there's nothing to do because if you receive Christ, you become brand new. It's maintenance from then on. But our mind has to change. We have to change the way we think now and line it up to our spirit. I wish, but God didn't do it, that our mind changed completely. And we just had all these godly thoughts and righteousness and all, and we didn't have to do that. But that's not the way God's designed it. We have to change the way we think and begin thinking more like Him. And the great place is in Scripture and in fellowship and in meditation and being aware of Him all of the time, thinking about Him and conversing with Him. And so because I was taught, like many of you were taught, that when you were born again, that you had this sin nature on the inside of you and you had this you know, righteousness nature, the nature of Christ, and they're warring, then because of that, that foundation of untruth, I misinterpreted Romans 7, 14 through 21. And I used to, and I believe many people do because of that, But and I used to go to this passage when I was like, have you ever, how can I say this? You warred, you, you, you were at war with yourself, you know what I mean, with this sin nature. You're just, you know, at warring and you're doing all the stuff you know how to do and praying and chanting and whatever. <laughs> Calling up all your friends and asking them to pray for you and you're just warring. Let me say this about that. Jesus defeated sin on the cross. Sin is defeated. Stop fighting it. Don't fight it. Let's just say sin is over here. It's defeated. If you turn and start warring, you're going to lose. 
Turn your back on it. Don't fight it. Turn your back on it. And righteousness, Christ, is over here. And just start being obedient to what He said. You'll see all that drop off. You turn to fight it, you're going you're gonna to lose. And you're going to be wore out. And you won't, you'll be so stressed out, wore out, bummed out, tired, you won't have time for this. Obedience is over here. That's, repentance is not, you know, fighting it. Repentance is turning your back and just going towards something else. There's no, there's no vacuums in the spirit. Something's always going to take place. When Jesus told us about demons, he said when a demon is cast out of a person, it goes through waterless places seeking rest. Finding none, he returns to its home. How do you like that? Finding it clean and swept. Clean and swept of what? Demons. They were cast out. Problem is it was unoccupied. Then he took seven of his worst friends and went back in being filled with the spirit of God and being born again in the spirit of Christ on the inside. So it's not just being clean. When God delivers us from something, he always delivers us to something. He just doesn't deliver us from something because there's no vacuum. Something's going to fill it. Now I've heard this over, you know, years ago that a lot of people that when they quit smoking, they started eating. They ate more, gained weight. Why? Because it's replacement. Something's always going to take its place. That's not how God deals. When God sets people free, he sets them free from something else, but also into freedom. We have been delivered from the domain of darkness, but we've also been transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. It's not just delivered. Does that make sense? Not just delivered from darkness. So in Romans chapter 7, verse 14... I'm going to read it through, and then we'll talk about it fairly quickly, although it's definitely worthy of of, a a deeper conversation. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh sold into the bondage of sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. Anybody identify with that at points? What I'm doing, I do not understand, for I'm not practicing what I would like to do. But I'm doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing... I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. 
five things, basic things, to help interpret Scripture, to keep in mind. One, who's talking? Two, who they're talking to? Three, what are they talking about? Four, what do other Scriptures have to say about the same topic? Five, what is the cultural relevance or the situation in life? Like women shouldn't speak in church. What's the cultural relevance? It helps you to interpret Scripture. Without those five basic things, it's very easy to misinterpret what is being said. So number one, who's doing the talking here? The Apostle Paul, was he born again at this point? It's not trick. Yes, he was. He was launched in his ministry. Who is he talking to? (laughs) We'll get there. The cultural relevance. Who's Paul talking to? I'll give you a big hint. What's the title of the book? (laughs) He's speaking to Romans. Okay, is he speaking to non-Christians or Christians? Because that makes a difference. You sure? Yes, he's speaking to Christians. Roman Christians. Paul speaking, speaking to Christians. What's he talking about? Trying to live the Jewish standards. Yep, he's he's speaking about religion. Now you have to kind of read more, you know, prior to this to get. We're kind of going through this kind of fast, and that's good for right now. Though answering those questions. The, the last two are what do other scriptures have to say about this, and the last one is what's the cultural relevance. And that we can even add the cultural relevance would be Jewish tradition. Let's go through this again. For we know that the law is spiritual. What's, what is he sp- speaking about? What's the law? Specifically, exactly, he's talking about the Torah, which is the law of Moses. We know that the law is spiritual. And then he says, but I am of flesh sold into bondage to sin. Now, this should be our first clue. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is speaking. He's born again. He had an amazing encounter with Christ, blinded, healed, 10 years in the wilderness, trained by Christ. And now he's saying to the Romans, I am sold to a bondage of sin. Something's not adding up here. Unless you believe that when you're born again, you still have a sin nature. Now, how many of you know a little bit about Paul before he became a Christian? What was he? He was a Pharisee, murderer. He was putting Christians in church, but specifically he was a Pharisee. And he was... Oh, did I say church? (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm not sure that was a mistake. <laughs> Putting people in church, that's great. I'm going to use that later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, get him back out of church. Oh my gosh. All right, where was I? So Paul was a Pharisee. He was trained by Gamaliel, which was a, a you know very prestigious Pharisaic teacher in in Judaism. So Paul, and notice here how many times I, I kind of emphasized it when I was reading it. The word I. I am of flesh. Verse 15, for what I'm doing, I do not understand. I'm not practicing what I would like to do. I, I, I. Do you know how many I's are in this short passage? 24. 24 times he used the word I. Do you know how many times the word me or my is in here? If I remember right, I think it's 12. referring to was trying to live the Christian life by being a Pharisee. Not by being a Christian. Because that's religion. Sinning. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying. I'm trying. And they're warring and fighting against what Jesus already accomplished when just turn your back on that and start being obedient. I've told this numerous times. I, I, I need to tell it again. The night I had an encounter with Christ, or God the Father, actually, I didn't know what was happening, but three things dropped into my heart, and I knew for the first time in my life what I was supposed to do. I didn't know how it happened. I didn't have any biblical training. I couldn't explain it. I just knew it. And I was in New York. And what the Lord told me, and I didn't even know it was the Lord at the time, he said, go back to Missouri, ask Renee to marry you, and get a job. I did all three of those. What did I just do? I just did what we were talking about. I turned my back on that, and I just started being obedient. I went back to Missouri, asked Renee to marry me the night I arrived, and went and got a job. When you're obedient like that, you don't need to know a lot of Scripture. You don't need to know anything except just that, doing what God told you to do. And you know what? You are righteous and holy in His sight because you were obedient to Him without even knowing any Scripture. That's how you can walk uprightly, holy and righteous. In that moment, I was perfect before the Lord because I was born again in that moment. And then he gave me those three things to do, and I did them. And here's, here's the, the crazy thing. I didn't even know it was him doing it until later. That, this is how simple Christianity really is. We've made it so difficult. How did the people do it without this? Generations upon generations of people lived without Scripture. How about Enoch? Enoch didn't carry the New American Standard leather bound with a little bookmark. And he had such a tight relationship with the Lord, so close, God just took him. 
How did Moses do it? I mean, the man wrote the first five books, so how did he do it? He's in the wilderness. I think I'm going to check out that. There's a something. I'm going to go check that out. Has an encounter with God. God speaks to him. He just did what God told him to do. Abraham's the same way. Abraham grew up in an idol-worshiping family. Abraham, the father of our faith. God speaks to him and says, get up and move. I mean, just think about that. Getting up and moving is difficult today. Think about how difficult it was back then. Get up and move. Where are we going? I'll show you. And what did Abraham do? Called all his friends, held a fasting and prayer. Oh, we've got to figure all this out. Logistics, get a map out. Okay. That's how simple he, he just started on the journey of obedience. He didn't have this. I'm not saying this we don't need it. Thank God he gave it to us. We have this. But you know, so many, too many Christians have a relationship with this book and not with the real God. Yep. Yep. Yeah, God beat him up really good. He really did. The man went through some stuff. We have a passage that talks about, was in 2 Corinthians, talks about his thorn in the flesh. A messenger from Satan, Paul said this, was given to me to keep me humble. Because of all of the, the, the visions and the things that I've seen. The messenger from Satan was given to him. Not by Satan. Satan's not trying to help us become more humble. <laughs> and, and that messenger was not disease or sickness, like so many theologians try to say. He had some kind of eye problem or something like that. It's not, that's not what that passage says at all. The passage actually tells us what his thorn in the flesh is. He says at the very end, Therefore I will be well content with insults and persecutions and all of these other things. It was the constant barrage from other people. Everywhere he went, persecution. I mean, the man was beat. He was whipped, left for dead, stoned, left for dead. He was been in a couple shipwrecks. He's been in prisons. Everywhere he went. And today, we're so cushy, we get upset if somebody looks at us wrong. We get upset if somebody, you know, slams us with our, you know, protests our meeting or slams us because of Christianity. God leaves our enemies to train us for war. Because his number one purpose is to conform us into the image of Christ. It is so easy to love Chris. But what if we have a disagreement? 
What if we have a deep or really hard disagreement? What if he steals money from me? You kick my dog and that's it, man. I'm telling you. (laughs) There'll be forgiveness, but it's going to be a while. (laughs) You see, we have to have these pressures. To conform us. It's very easy to love people that are lovable and loving us back. And if you need more love developed in your life, this is how God does it. Well, first, let me tell you how he doesn't do it. He doesn't allow you to go to sleep one night and wake up all loving like Christ. This is how he does it. He puts you in situations and circumstances where more love is required. Where more patience is required. Working it out. On the job training. I don't know why, but I'm thinking. And it's about to make me cry. How many of you have ever seen Mel Gibson's Passion movie? Renee and I have only watched it once. I own it. I, I just can't bring myself. I, we watched it in a theater when it came out years ago. I cannot bring myself to watch it again. It's the hardest movie to watch. But the man portraying Jesus said something. It's not in the Bible, but it's still very impactful. And that's when he was beat nearly to death, and he's carrying the cross, and he's going down this aisle, uh, alley, And his mom, he sees his mom. And he says, look, I make all things new. Let me remember that part. Then he's nailed to a cross. Both hands, both feet. And he asks the Father to forgive them who just did that to him. we get upset when people look at us wrong don't say hi to us in the morning God forgive us And that's what I'll finish with because that was perfect. Verse 24 of Romans 7. He said, wretched man that I am. I remember when I was awakened to the revelation of this passage. That almost made me mad. Wretched man that I am. Because I said, Lord, if you gave me new life, and I'm born again, but you left me in a wretched state, what use is it? And Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
He sets us free from that. Not into that. Free from that. Father, thank You so much. You have, gosh, given us so much. You have accomplished so much for us. And God, I pray for all of us that we would walk in everything that You have supplied for us. We would walk in all of our inheritance, all of our freedom, all of our liberty, everything that You've given to us. That we will keep our focus on You, our attention on You while we're in this world, at our job, in politics, the marketplace, business, wherever we're at. That we would have ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying, eyes to see, the boldness and the courage to act and to speak, to allow You the freedom to mold us and shape us to be more like You through every situation in every circumstance. Thank You, Father. Lord, I pray for this great country that You have allowed us to live in. And Father, I thank You for the men and women that have lived here before us, our founders, and those who have fought and died to provide the liberty and freedom that we have experienced. And now it's our watch. Thank You for them. Thank You for the heritage that they've left for us. May we not squander it. May we fight for the freedom and liberty that You have lavishly poured out onto us. Both in the natural and in the Spirit. Thank You, Father God. May everything we do and everything we say bring glory to Your holy name. Is anybody in here sick this morning, not feeling well, have a pain in your body you don't want anymore? Some kind of Debbie over here, Sarah back there. I'm going to raise my hand. i got something that's happening every once in a while that's kind of weird. Glory. Can you lift your hand up if you want some prayer? Kelly back there, Chris. Would the rest of you go and just lay hands on them and pray for them? Speak the Word of God over them. If nothing's coming to you from the Spirit of God, then pray the Scripture over them. Thank You, Lord. Bless the name of the Lord. Thank You for providing healing for us, God.